Geek Shock. Geek Shock. Well, fine. You don't need headphones. You're yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. You're too cool for school. Hey, <laughs> so I was brought a bunch of Canadian uh, musicians this weekend. Canadian? We, ha- we have those. Can- yeah. What, the ca- Canadian Cowboys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's no we have those. Apparently, so you, there's a big... You have those quote-unquote no, no, presidential uh, quotes. A big bunch of Canadian Cowboy thing. There's a whole Alberta, I guess, is pretty cowboy fault. And, yeah, it's um, called the Calgary Stampede. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> Ian Tyson, have you heard of him? No. Country? I, yeah. Okay. And uh, no, 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 Corb so. Lund, who is hilarious. I got to see him. He was he's great. Corb Lund. Corb Lund. Oh, shru- I assu- I'm shrugging. I assu- I'm shrugging. I assume it's Corbin. <laughs> like but Corbin yeah. Dallas from Fifth yeah, yeah. Element. Yeah. Okay. Corbin the man. Corbin the man. He does country, but he does some, some really, really funny songs. He did a song about uh, everything is better with a cow or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. That's not it. Boy, that's <laughs> not it? It's, it's not like You that, better though. write that song because <laughs> yeah. that's a pretty yeah. good song. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's similar to that. It's like. Yeah. And then, <laughs> it, and then he did. Uh, um, almost Andy. No, no. It's almost that song. <laughs> almost that song. Everything wow. is better with a cow. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> But um, but he also did a song about a uh, uh, large animal veterinarians. It's a talking veterinarian blues, and they need a uh, song that isn't on an album yet. That is, those are testing out for the audience called "Albino Woman." I caught mm. "Albino Woman." Albino Woman, yeah. yeah. Albino Woman, yeah. Do you remember any other bit of that? Albino Woman, yeah. Um, Coming on to albino me, woman. albino. No, no, no. Woman. It's, it's a love song to Albino Woman. It's uh. Um, yes, I'll treat you one. with kid gloves because you bruise easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just amazed that you, you, you're like you know, Canadian country singers. I'm like, come on, Shania Twain's Canadian. You know, you forget about that. She, I, I, I had no idea she was Canadian. Famous so for is, being um, Canadian. Uh, what's her Terry? Are we letting them across the border still? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not into country music. That's the only I'll one I remember. I'll find, I'll find Until it. Until we build the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Great out, North out Wall. Ice. The Great North Wall. <laughs> Although, uh, on the t- topic of Canada, there was a uh, article and uh, subsequent video I saw last week about uh, a guy that is a dentist, and he decked out his whole office Starfleet and Star Trek style. Like I've he had bought that. a bunch of stuff from uh, from like the Christie's auction a few years back, and uh, designed his new office around Star Trek, and it's pretty awesome. I'm like looking around there, and he said, "He said, I hope some of it distracts the patients from, you know, the the uncomfortable, you know, process of going to the dentist." So, <laughs> it's uh, you know, hey, that, that any distraction? Help. That's true. That's true. I, at, at the dentist, Lord knows, I need every distraction I can get. Terry Clark. The, okay. Terry Clark. She's Canadian. Is that what I'm hearing, Terry Clark? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Clark. But, uh, well, look, Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin, Lance Morissette, Avril Lavigne, Shania Twain. There's a lot of yes. There are yes, there are. There are a lot, especially Brian in the '90s. Rush. Brian we Adams. Yeah. Rush. Brian. Yes. The best band on the planet. <laughs> the definitely, best band. definitely the best trio for certain. I, I am so bothered by dentists. Last dentist I went to, it was a place called the Dental Spa. Was that where, the one where they knock you out? They don't. No, I think they offer that. Okay. I didn't take. I'm not that bad. 
Okay. But they do offer you like a hot towel and, and a paraffin dip for your fingers. Nice. It's a it's a spa treatment while dentistry. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was amazed at the time my insurance took it. <laughs> Everything is better when there's cows around. That's what the name of the song is. I like your version right. better. I do too. Everything's better oh. with cows. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, everything is better with a cow. That was it. Everything is better when there's cows around. So this, this event was just like, where was it? You know, first, it was in Elko. You know I want to get back to this. First, let's bring everybody in. Oh, Welcome, okay. folks. It's Geek Shock number 374. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Fact Check Dandy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we're here to talk Week in Geek. I want to thank everybody out there for indulging us a week off. Appreciate it. Yes. Did it. Love you. What did you do exactly? What is this thing? Amy? I was up covering the uh, 33rd annual uh, National Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko, Nevada. Which we have t- discussed a few times. Uh, wait, on I've, the show. Done, I've been up there once before. I covered it I covered it three years ago. You only went no, up there been, once before? I thought I, you went last year, I too. I thought it was an annual thing for you. No, no. I went up, I went in, well, I wrote, I went up in 2014, then I wrote it right uh, to advance the 2015 event. This time I went up for 2017, and and it'll be in the paper Sunday. So it's actually um, what they really wanted to cover this time was the moth was, was going to be there, for, which was there for the first time. Wait, wait, a moth was going to be the there? moth, the, the moth, the moth, the storytelling thing from NPR. Oh, what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> really? NPR. The moth is big. In, Andy, Andy, I'm a centrist, not a liberal, so um, I don't listen to NPR ever. <laughs> Not even the, the fun shows in the weekends? NPR has fun shows? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I don't know how mac- how macrame made out of cassette tape ribbon is a fun show. <laughs> Man, you're missing a lot. <laughs> if you, it, I'll yeah. indulge with that. What? <laughs> so The Moth? The Moth. The Moth is a, a storytelling show. It's, it, they, have, they, have, they actually they do live storytelling events all over the country, and uh, they have uh, workshops in New York City. They've got... Uh, uh, open mics, and then they have curated shows, which, which is what the one at the uh, Elko was, where they have uh, five or six storytellers uh, telling about 10 or 12 minute stories. And uh, I've you know. never heard about this, and I'm a liberal for God's wow. sake. I, rec- I recommend the Moth Highway. It's very, very entertaining. It good stuff. I actually, uh, honestly, I don't listen simply because I never listen to radio. Gotcha. So. Oh, this yeah, is true. That too. Podcast books on tape. Yeah. 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 And MP3 is kind of where I'm at mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, moth, the Moth is sort of trying to bring back storytelling but it's all personal stories it's all people telling stories from their you know, their life and so it's all it's like like Wake, lake wobegon no no it's not like because lake wobegon is 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 fiction this is all real true oh, stories okay everything is oh, what the hell is the quote everything is so it's uh, better with a cow so, so it's yeah <laughs> so it's this american life kind of except it's one person <laughs> telling their own story they do it without notes they do it without a script uh, and everything is uh, true uh, to the best of their recall. Oh, God. I want to listen to the episode Andy's on. <laughs> Andy? I would take you can, some. I'll, I would I'll give take, you this opportunity yeah. if you want to tell your story. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to have your own The Moth moment, I will wow. give it to you right now. Wow. I don't have a story prepared. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Wait okay. a minute. There's supposed to be no preparation. Yeah, yeah, there's no, pre- no, no, no. no. I, didn't say, I didn't say there's no preparation. <laughs> I said they don't have a work from a script or notes. Oh, it's all okay. from their memory. All right. all right. Tell me about the story. You went to the cowboy yodeling club. Uh, cowboy poetry. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was, it's weird. It is its own little nerdy world. I mean, people are all dressed in their cowboy costumes, and they're all... Cowboy uh, cosplay? Costumes, yeah, think. it is basically cosplay, cowboy cosplay. Cowplay? Yeah. Isn't all cowboy 
dress up cowboy cosplay. Pretty in much. In every yeah. case. Come on. There are a few pixie fairies in there. Just no, like not a fairies. one. That'd be fun. And, and the Roman legionaries. I was thinking it'd be fun to show up as a goth there. You know, Let's bring a little pack of goths and see what happened. But, you know, no. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> no, you need to put on your steampunk outfit. That's almost appropriate. That's close. You could probably get a, you might be able to pull that off if you're, yeah. I think you're like a bartender or something from right. that, that time. Right. <laughs> that, 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 okay, that reminds me of a story from me. Okay. Goth, bringing up goth. Okay. I had a small goth phase. All right. Okay. Weird time post college. All right. 96, 97. I was going to say, right. I don't remember this. Wow. This is nope. news to me. <laughs> the girl I was dating at the time, very, very goth influence. See what we so, do for women. See what we do for women. <laughs> I was you like, know. you wouldn't fuck Susie Sue. So I, I, I was the no. whole painted the nails Canadian. black. Eyeliner, the filth before you. Wow. Yeah. The whole thing. Dyed the hair black. Do you have short. any pictures? I probably we do somewhere. We want to see pictures. I have no idea if <laughs> I do. want to see They're pictures. They're on MySpace. They're on his MySpace. <laughs> All right. So she got the great idea that we should dress up in our goth gear and go to the county fair. Keep in mind, I this is still when I live in small town Indiana. Yeah, right? living in Dunkirk, Indiana, which was smaller than Portland, Indiana. Portland, Indiana, still to this day has like a thirty-five hundred people that live there. All right, super small. So county fair. She's like, I will wear. She's I'll wear my dog collar, and you can lead me around by a leash. Holy! <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like. You're like, Why okay. not? You're okay. Pussy later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not far off. So sure enough, they get we get there, tie the collar to the, the the leash, and I'm wandering her around the Jay County Fair past the 4-H cow things and the pigs and the chickens and the Himalaya and the House of Mirrors. And that was when I first tasted my true experience of redneck anger. Oh boy. <laughs> she oh. didn't win best in show? We ended up getting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> Andy with the home run. We got chased out of there. We got chased out. Yeah. By, Please by, tell me pickup oh. truck, shotguns, everything. By basically 4 H. When mm. it comes down, the future farmers of America yep. came after us with pitchforks, basically. Those, those are two different things, we, but okay. We, yeah, we escaped yeah. in our car in, in obvious danger. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. But we, but you know, she was, was like, "Hey, what's gonna happen? We're we're gonna show off our toods. and yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah, we got wow, sh- yeah, we showed them. All your toods yeah. are born to us. <laughs> that's impressive stuff, right there. So, I, I, oh, please, I've never led a girl around on a leash. I, there I, was, I, I knew I a stripper I, one time, ah. and that was awkward because the she didn't take off the leash for the table dance. So she would lean forward, and the the oh, leash no. would get like caught in my th- between my thigh and the the chair. Oh, okay, okay. So when she would lean back, it would <laughs> and it would just pull. And she, <laughs> the whole table dance, all three songs, she's just like dance, dance, <laughs> dance. <laughs> you were short leashing her. <laughs> wow, wow. So yeah, that was yeah. Those were the days. Beth. Her name was Beth. Yeah. Oh, I, what can I you do? Putting, her, putting you yourself do? through college? <laughs> <laughs> Going to be a doctor? Yeah. But she, yeah. Well, the yeah the the usual story. She did actually have a business plan in mind, mm-hmm. etc. Okay. Well, you know, if you stay away from the booze and the drugs, yep, it's uh, true. you can actually set yourself up. You, really you know what? 
I actually do know. There. I actually do two, know two former strippers that did that. The one of them got her master's in uh, some kind of ecology thing, and uh, it's well, she's making huge money now. They don't. They don't advertise it. You know, yeah. they don't put out their their signboard for their new business funded <laughs> right. by stripping. Yeah. So the successful ones you don't hear about because they do it, they get their money, they achieve their objective, they go. But that was definitely the key. It's, you know, if you don't get into the drugs, you know, she she did drink, but she didn't get into the drugs and she she's like married, has like two kids now and just mm. it yeah. the whole nine yards. Every once in a while, Candy? Candy, is that you? <laughs> but I, I actually had a girl Pretty nice, attractive girl from L.A. Mm-hmm. Paid for her timeshare tour, right, <laughs> with a stack of ones, and she put them down on the table. I knew, she knew that I knew, and she was like, <laughs> "Don't judge." I was like, "I didn't say anything," <laughs> but our eyes met. Our eyes met, and she knew that right. I knew because I was like, "Who the fuck pays sixty ones?" <laughs> yep. that's great. Why? I love that. Don't judge. I was. <laughs> Gentlemen, like you're geeky. like you're like don't ju- don't judge. I work for a freaking timeshare company. I mean, <laughs> really? Really? Hey. Hey. I was about to say the same thing. Easiest money I've ever made. What? Soul sucking? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> say at what cost? I'm sorry, yes. I cut you off. That's all. I, I just say what geeky things you do this week, gentlemen. It's I'm. I, no, 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 I like it. Dip, 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 get I finally finished Deep Space Nine. Did you? All of it. All of it. And have you watched it all before? Yes. Okay, so but, this was a uh, revisiting. This took me a couple months to do it. That seventh season was painful, but I'm finally it's a done. wacky, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, we discussed a little bit. What What's about seven? Season That's seven the, makes the wacky? the Kai Win and That's the... Right. Ducat as a Bajoran Ducat type as a Bajoran. That's such a dumb idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Maybe Mark Alamo was like... For the you know, when they say Mark, one more season. I can't do the makeup. <laughs> Mark, one more season. I can't do the makeup. All right, all right, all right. We'll figure something out. What if we Maybe. just put, yeah? If what if we just put the Bajoran out. nose on you? I can live with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah, that whole that whole weird thing. Like when she didn't know that it was him, and then she found out it was him, but then stuck with him. That was just so bizarre. It's mm. like it's like oh, you fooled me, and well, we're kind of aligned in our desires <laughs> yeah. so let's see where this goes <laughs> yeah Weird. was the last episode did that send it off well no mm. it didn't because he he spoilers you know 20 years yeah, later i think right. <laughs> but uh, so they defeat the dominion you know they're all oh good war lost a lot of friends <laughs> let's go to quarks Woo-hoo. yay and then he's like shit i'm forgetting to do something i'm the emissary i gotta go so yeah. he goes to bajor he fights Dukat, Bajoran Dukat, but Dukat at this point is the emissary to the Pau race, which is like okay, demon. Yeah. So he's got powers. So he charges off the cliff. They both die in the fire. Dukat is with the Pau race. He's with the prophets. The yeah. end. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. Mm. That's the terrible. End. And Jake Jake stays on the station, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, may, and it's... it's, it's like, oh, oh, I'll be back maybe a year, but time is linear. Yeah, it's, but I'll be back. You get and that, that's it. You get that feeling that he stays on the station awaiting his return. <laughs> Just sitting, looking at a baseball. Yeah, yeah. with that, wow. that Kira hug no, no, at the Kira, end. Kira, Kira like, is looking at the like, like, oh, there's his baseball. He'll be back. Yeah. Like, picks it, it off yeah. the desk. So you haven't like, seen this hmm. either. I have not seen the last couple of seasons. Okay. No. But See, Paulette, I, Paulette looked up from her book and was like, she wasn't watching it, and she well, she was beside me. And she's like, "They're really gonna send it off like that?" And I looked at her, and I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and he's like, "Don't judge." 
Yeah. <laughs> she was giving the dollar bills. Um, yeah, so I watched a bunch of Star Trek this weekend too. What? Oh wow, it's a Star Trek because it was because uh, it was on BBC on the on the on the hotel. Oh, okay, so I, yeah. I just I just had that running while I was while I was sleeping. I had go on low while I was sleeping to for background noise. So right, original series. It was uh, original series TSG and uh, um, TSG TSG TNG 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 Star Trek the same generation <laughs> right. Oh, and, the animated series. And uh, um, <laughs> fuck, it was uh, the one with the Voyager. one with Neelix. Voyager. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw a bunch of Neelix. I'm like, wow, Paul's right. Neelix sucks. <laughs> no, he's, he's terrible. God. Very strange Is character. that Okay, so and you know a lot about worse. Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Is that the only one that won awards? Uh, sorry, the, the Next Generation one, and then that one won seven Emmys, right? Voyager? The other ones um, didn't, right? Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like... He, Next Gen was nominated several times for like special effects and stuff. The only award it won was a Peabody Award for writing for a season one episode. I thought they won something for drama, One episode? Too. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. I think they got some like side awards, like for, um, you know, not, not like pre- prestigious awards, but. Uh, Consolation prizes, <laughs> participation <laughs> trophies. Yeah, something like that. But. Uh, Miss Congeniality? Yeah. So I Voyager don't recall any of the others. I can't believe that. What's that? Seven uh, uh, Emmys. It won seven Emmys. Voyager? It was like for cost. Yeah. It was it was like for costuming. It won and seven like Emmys. The only one to like clean up on the awards. I'm like, the what? one that people like the least. Yeah, <laughs> the one most the most Emmys. Mm. Right. See, now you're gonna have to make me look that up because yeah. Wait, uh, people like people like that. <laughs> people like the Voyager better than Enterprise. Oh, that Enterprise was the one everyone hated. Ah, okay, that's a good point. I keep forgetting the Enterprise exists, so that yeah, might say a right. lot right there. Well, that's because Enterprise works a lot better if you just think of it as a sci-fi show and you not know part of the Star Trek. I started watching Enterprise. I think I finished most of the first season, and I enjoyed what I watched. But you're right. That's really kind of how you have to approach it. If you it. do it that way, it's it's a fun science fiction show. If you sit there and try to fold it into the Star Trek universe and continuum, it's just... it it. It hurts because there's a lot of shoehorning going on. That's just like, oh, but they got some fun episodes. Everything with Shran, <laughs> says the former Andorian, right. is great. The Borg um, stuff, that was the, good too. The, the, yeah. the Borg stuff was interesting. The, the magnificent Ferengi, wow. even though it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they had virtually every actor who played a Ferengi in the past being Ferengi in one episode. So oh, okay. The Borg episode, basically, it ties in with First Contact. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so they find like, so you know when they destroy the sphere? Yeah, not all of them beam to the uh, Enterprise. Some of them get like an escape pod or something. Yeah, and they end up um, Antarctic, Arctic. It's something in, like it's, that. Yeah, it's some. It's not a frozen. It and it's not they, a. Are you talking about Enterprise with the yeah, board? Enterprise. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. Part of them that, that crashed with the the wreckage of the sphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. And then, so it's not a full Borg invasion. It's just no, like no, 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 no. It's like three drones, but they. But stay. of course, they've got to stomp them because they're going to start building right. the doohickey to do the what thing to say, "Come over here." <laughs> so, I gotta sit down. Get over here. I gotta sit down and watch all that Star Trek. I'm pretty sure they got off a uh, signal. That's yeah, what I'm we pretty need. Sure they did. Borg yeah. Scorpion from. Well, if Mortal you remember Kombat. the the quote at the end is that it'll be about seventy five years before uh-huh. it reaches that. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, I stand corrected. Uh, Next Gen did win uh, several Emmys. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Starting in 88 for Michael Westmore, Outstanding Individual Achievement. Let's make that. Let's see. One, two, six, ten. A real gentleman, too. I fourteen. I'll never forget yeah. his visiting us. He's amazing. You're a great guy. Now, if you don't know, uh, Michael Westmore created all of the Star Trek makeup from Next Gen on. And this yeah. is... And, this, and your guys'. This, and yeah, yeah, Star Trek: The Experience. This guy is the the Westmore family. It's really funny because when Vernon and I will watch TOS original series, every time the the credits pop up, you're going to see a Westmore in charge of hair. Right. A yeah. Westmore, and it, it's it's a it's a little it's a little television dynasty that has many generations. And if you watch Face Off, that's yeah. his daughter that hosts it, and he makes many appearances on it. Yeah. And oh, he, little Star Trek trivia. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he's just he's just amazing. Um, I watched uh, a few years ago, he did uh, the Terry Farrell um, uh, makeup for the Trill with the, the little spots and everything while he was talking to her on stage. So he was not only giving a demonstration, but talking about his history on the show and... Um, you know his sketchbooks and stuff that it, they showed pictures of sketches that he did for makeup that was never used. So I mean, he had literally hundreds of ideas for alien characters that never got used. Mm. Um, and then I think it was a year or two after he did uh, the Chicote makeup on uh, Robert Beltran on on stage as well, and basically did the same kind of thing, but showed additional stuff that he hadn't shown before so isn't the chicote makeup just basically that weird tattoo yes yeah okay <laughs> it still had to be applied every single right, right, day sure. no, I know. and it had to be applied in he exactly woke up, the same way just like damn it so sure that, sure but but who goes to the star trek convention go i can't wait for the chicote makeup application right <laughs> but mark it's alamo he, he was also a cardassian in the original i mean not the yeah. original yep he was in next next gen, gen yeah. set or whatever and he had right. a, didn't he have a mustache I want to say it was a Cardassian. He had a mustache. I was like, not what a it? mustache, but there was like the, the they simplified that makeup for DS Nine because there yeah. was a lot more going on. Yeah, uh, there was like this this like flap of skin uh, in the middle of the nose between the nostrils to the upper lip and something like that. So, yeah. and then it, the other cheat was like they had this little metal thing that covered part of their face so that um, for like the background Cardassians they didn't have to show. Yeah the full makeup yeah. so they didn't have to put the full makeup on the background character. But yeah, it was a lot more intricate and then when they did DS9 it's like, "Oh, we're going to have to simplify this shit." So, <laughs> one of my spoon, favorite let's races. Put a spoon on its head. Yeah, yeah. spoon heads. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's such a perfect epic. They're my favorite yeah. one of my favorite races in the Star Trek Cardassian. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> That's good. You got one in control of the country now, so you're good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, right? Um I'm continuing to listen to the Chromecast podcast, and the only reason I mention that is because I'm now on episode like 17 or 18, mm -hmm. and the fun thing is they close out every episode, you know, with Basil Polidorus' soundtrack, one of the best soundtracks in movies from the Conan 1982 movie, Conan the Barbarian, and it's the whole da-dum-dum. They play a different cover every episode. Really? And I am on like 17, and I have not yet heard a repeat cover. Wow. There, oh, wow. there are heavy metal covers of this song. <laughs> there are, there's one, it's all wind instruments, brass and woodwinds, and that's all it is. There's another, there's another, it's whatever the hell they did to make music for 8-bit video games. Oh, the, yeah. The chiptune. Yeah. It, it's, it's that. It's like, 
they're just 10 i did there are so many covers of that damn song it's amazing i'm actually part part of me listening to this now is just to find out when do they finally run out of covers because it's a, <laughs> it, it, it every single one it i don't think it's repeated yet wow. it's very interesting very cool i had a wonderful time this weekend gentlemen i went to the lvo the las vegas open uh, frontline gaming oh how was that it's a uh, oh, I had such. A I'm good mad at you for not telling me that you were there. I texted him once I arrived. It's like you should come, and he was like, <laughs> "I have plans." I'm like, well, <laughs> "You lose." But no, it was and it was huge. It first of all, LVO is the grand semi-professional championship of war game miniatures. One room, huge ballroom, nothing but Warhammer tables, mostly 40k. Wow, and, were, were they sculpted maps and stuff? Were they like three D? Beautiful maps. Oh wow! Uh, every single one had its own terrain set. Oh, that sounds great. And there were hundreds of tables. That was massive, and there was another whole ballroom that was everything that wasn't Warhammer, uh, Malifaux. In fact, I, I sent one uh, picture to Kay because there is a uh, Conan pre-painted yeah. miniatures war game that is out there now that I'd never even heard of. And so it was so much fun. What was so amazing is that everybody was taking a part of it and there was trophies and then cash prizes, of course. This apparently was to de- decide the championship for the West Coast America, which will go against championship East Coast and then go to world, is what I understand. Wow. So so huge in war gaming. How much did it cost to get in? 20 bucks uh, for the Jeez, day. That's nothing. For the day. And they had like a little little shopping area, but almost everything was devoted to playing the game. And there was a demo set area. I actually played the uh, demo for, oh, what's that really? Demon Souls. Yeah. Uh, Demon Souls board game that's coming out in April. I played a demo of that. Uh, for- in, your, in your travel, did you happen to see, was there Inquisitor? Like the Inquisitor is like, it's warmer 40K, but you control like one character. And your Marine would be like the size of a Mexican Coke. Wow. And um, you, have, you have like way more skills and things like that. You pretty much pay, play one character. I don't remember seeing that. I saw a lot of huge war machines. That's the thing that was so amazing. One, everybody's armies painted to the nines and beautifully. Everybody who plays that game has skills when it um, comes to painting, um, at least at that level. And every table I was looking at easily... Between the two armies, $1,500 plus in just army miniatures alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. th- people have invested huge amounts of money into this. When I oh, first yeah. got And every into single it. one, just massive war machines. One's, uh, one's from like, uh, there's a company out there called Forge World. Yeah. Uh, they are the ones that do the really high-end Warhammer uh, miniatures that cost a lot of money. They're like big war machines, cost like $400. It wasn't unusual to see three of those machines at one in one army. Wow. When I first got into it, so this is early 90s, mid-90s, I guess, and they were still using pewter. So <laughs> yes. It's actually come down because they the plastic, but I mean like a dreadnought, it's like five, five inches and it's solid pewter. <laughs> and it's Heavy. Like, yeah. But I mean, it was just like, oh, my wallet can't handle this. And here I am, no job, a kid. Hey, Ma, give me some fucking money. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Can I have $450 yeah, yeah. Dollars, I American? Wonder, <laughs> I wonder why that's tradition. I wonder why lead figures were the standard for, for wargaming for so long. 
I imagine easy to cast. Yeah, is that yeah. it? Soft. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, pewter is super soft too. Like I used to have a little, uh, really nicely detailed pewter uh, original series Enterprise. Uh, after a couple years of sitting on my shelf, the nacelles started to slowly curl. Yes. So you had to right. really gently warm it up and bend them back. But if you did it too fast, you would snap them off. Right. Because a friend of mine had that exact same thing oh. happen, and he snapped his off. And I was like, oh, you Battle poor damage. bastard. <laughs> Battle damage. But uh, but yeah, with the, the pewter. And uh, I actually had a Spock as well. My mother bought me that he had the hand up in the Vulcan hand salute. And that hand slowly started to sink down. Started to lose lose faith in the culinar. Yeah. Yeah. Slowly turned into a gang sign. <laughs> Something like that. There's a there's a f- old 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 Knights of the Dinner Table strip where Hard Eight Enterprises, which is the equivalent to old TSR, gets a huge shipment of defective dwarves where they're all missing a leg. Oh, I remember that. And they yes. go ahead and market them as one-legged dwarf packs, and it, it's just this funny thing going on because all of a sudden there's like this collector's craze about getting the one-legged dwarf before it's all sold out and, you know, before this is a limited run. And mm. it's just... It was, they're creating uh, armies of one-legged dwarves. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, it was, it was actually hilarious. <laughs> but you, you talking about breaking the pewter reminded me of that I, I i remember those older uh, you know you the sword would break off and you'd be yeah. like, damn it mm-hmm. and one friend of mine told me he actually tried to like use a match to kind of soften it to just spot weld it uh-huh. and it he said it literally evaporated in his fingertips <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to. oh man yeah uh I, I i used to know somebody that ran games back in wichita and he did that with a soldering iron but he you had to really really barely get the two sides heated up to put it back together and then he still had to like sand it down yeah, yeah. get mm-hmm. all the but you know watching him put a sword back on i'm like it seems like you're putting a lot of effort into just fixing that one tiny little miniature right. he's like but uh, not yeah. only for the cost thing but i'm glad they uh, went to plastic because man the pewter like it's a bloodthirster's demon model for chaos space marines mm-hmm massive model wings would always fall off it had like an arm out here like it was it was just a weird angle in the arm and it had a huge battle axe so yeah. the weight of that battle axe you'd be playing all of a sudden ding oh yep. their arm fell off <laughs> okay oh, hold on hold on putting it back on well and just moving them i mean you're talking about yeah. i mean there must be cases they build for these things to yes. move them yeah, oh, so, yeah. yeah oh, I yeah. can imagine yeah, one of those made out of pewter. You'd have to have, you know, wheels well, yeah, my store trunks. foam lined. They have the little cutout store I used to work at in Chicago. Yeah, we sold we sold Warhammer cases. You had big giant cases for I have miniatures one. somewhere. Yeah, no, but absolutely. Yet another. If cool I th- find it, I'll bring it. I'll show you. The, the come in it. Cool thing about the plastic too is they've got Hero Forge now, uh, which is a design your own mini store and you literally you can sit there and take bits and pieces to design your own mini and they 3d print it for you and then send mm-hmm. it to you you're getting custom made minis that's cool holy shit will that actually um will all those companies fizzle away once 3d uh, printing starts already warhammer's having issues with people 3d printing their own stuff you can find those designs yeah, sure. online mm-hmm. yeah. you you just just wait till we get our own replicators well, man some, when company, you get when you get the home use when 3D I printer. last, I didn't go to CES this year, but the year prior, when I went to the 3D printer area, and I was 
specifically looking to see, okay, how is this going to affect the model industry, model building industry? Mm-hmm. And they have this whole, this whole display is like, okay, you buy the model by buying the plan. You print it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so you're not buying the models anymore. You're buying plans to print out. Yeah, that's, was good, that's exactly what I was going to say. There was a whole company mm-hmm. selling... Um, that you you download that you buy it and you download the software and you print your own miniatures toys etc. So, huh. Yeah. So yeah, it's going that way. And if, I wouldn't be surprised if Warhammer starts that option themselves, whereas you can buy their downloadable files to print your own Warriors of Corn or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Are we the only ones that played Warhammer 40k? No one else. Yeah. No, I think I you, you and although me, you no. said the Inquisitor, I think that might be one of the uh, costumes Scully made. Sound, that sounds well, right. No, okay, Inquisitor is um, it's basically a rank in the Imperium of Man. Okay, which is kind of like a high priest, but with tell uh, all they do is like fight demons, and that's their whole. That sounds like it had a bunch of crosses and skulls on. Yeah, it. but the game Inquisitor is just it's more in depth. Like it, you zoom into your army, you you pick like I'm Captain Balamos, mm-hmm. whatever. Just not. Not you don't have a huge army, just like you're the one character facing more this guy's one character. Small facing. squad skirmishes. Yeah. Scully's costumes are amazing. Mm. He just and he does that all out of bits. Well, that's and why pieces. we made him our Secretary of Defense. All right, uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I went tonight. Oh, I, to I see... am not done. Oh, you're not. Oh, done. I am more. nowhere near done. All right, Did you just well, cut him off. Okay, John? Andy. <laughs> I guess so. The speaking of the skirmish, there is a new. It's already been launched at some game stores. Uh, I know the War Room game store close to here has it, but it's not to all game stores. I guess it goes in full unveiling in April. But the Walking Dead miniatures game that is coming out mm. looks fantastic. The 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 rules looks like it's real simple to put together, not too expensive to get into. I think that's going to be the next miniature game I actually play versus just, you know, model with. I got five or six different uh, zombies games that uh, I'm itching to break out. You know, the little plastic zombies uh, with the tile-based game. Have you seen that one? I've seen a few of them. Oh, but yeah, zombies with the explanation. Part right, exactly. There's, there's there's that, and there's one that's based in a high school, and there's one that's in a mall, and there's one that has clowns, and there's one that has dogs. Right. Yeah. They have so Zombie many expansions dogs. in that game. Yeah. yeah. Now, there wasn't much in the way of board games. In fact, I think I saw a total of three while I was there. Pathfinder had their little corner. Other than that, there was mm-hmm. nothing. But I did pick up this little game, this little gem that I'm very excited to oh play. It is a one to six player cooperative game called Camp Grizzly. G-R-I-Z-Z-L-Y. Uh, I'll just read the back oh, here. Hang on, repeat that for the camera here. Welcome to Camp Grizzly. <laughs> the year is 1979. Players take the roles of camp counselors who are being stalked through a maze of cabins and camp trails by Otis, a homicidal killer with an unhealthy bear fetish. Working together, the counselors explore the campgrounds while searching for a combination of ob- objectives that can trigger one of eight different game endings. Those who survive the finale win the game. I, don't I know. am so excited to play I Friday play the that. 13th, the game. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, not is. to worship all, but I don't think I've heard this idea before. That's exactly why I love it. It's Friday the 13th, <laughs> the board game. Yeah. I am all in. I'm wow. excited. And so, I like the bear Photoshop, but then you have to have schools. Right. So the, yeah, I think the, uh, the 
It, no, the cow. You can't live without the cow. No, it's a bear. The bears in the schools. You have to have the guns to keep the oh, bears out of the schools. Oh, you oh. being political. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's There's Andy injecting politics into our comedy podcast. Oh, DeVos. It's not my fault. They injected comedy into politics. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a bobcat. Wasn't it a bobcat? I did see a bobcat no, on, yeah. on my trip. But yeah, the stalker basically wears the the carved out head of a bear. Nice. So, Poor bear. So, oh, that's him there with like a garden tool. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a one of those three prong like uh, soul garden weasel. weasel. And, and the art things. is very yeah. like a it's, garden weasel. The art is very animated. <laughs> like like it's almost from like they, they took stills from a cartoon. Yeah. So it's a really neat art in there, and of course, there's a warning on the front that it's this game contains drug and sex references. So you know, <sighs> Friday the Thirteenth, all the way. All right, man. So had hey, a great you, time you at gotta, LVO. You got to come to a game night so I can play this. Definitely, definitely. Okay, that's all I got to say about it. Jeff. What whatever you gonna bring? Uh, I was just gonna say uh, I, tonight I went to the uh, Wayne's World 25th birthday bash. Ah. At uh, one of the theaters. Here what in entail Vegas. a birthday bash? So it's it's the just it's the 25th anniversary of Wayne's World, uh, the the original fi- Wayne's World film, hitting the theaters. Okay, and it followed with um, uh, new interviews with uh, director Penelope Spheris, uh, uh, Mike Myers, uh, Dana Carvey, etc. Are these so, things you think they're going to be on, like the Blu-ray? Yeah, probably. It's probably going to wind up being on a, a new Blu-ray release because it did say uh, um, available soon on uh, special edition DVD and digital HD streaming, but it didn't say anything about Blu-ray. So if they're going as far as making the DVD, they're probably going to make a Blu-ray. But but uh, yeah, it was really fun uh, seeing that movie again in the theater because I saw that movie originally in the theater. 25 years ago and God, holy shit all... 25 years ago yeah, that really? came out I was sitting there going it's definitely a slice of early 90s because when Tia Carrera was hot yeah, yeah. there there are a lot of oh, jokes wow. in there that still hold up very well and there are a lot of jokes that I won't say are, are necessarily dated because people still use them but they're definitely oh, centered on no that was uh, Austin Powers uh, definitely centered on that early 90s so you know, if you don't have the context Schwing? surrounding it. Schwing? Schwing. People still use Schwing. Do they? Do people not? still use yes. Schwing? Yes. Believe it or not, they do. Are you hey. just talking about yourself? Have you, have no. you been around... <laughs> 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 have you been around Biggs when Bohemian Rhapsody comes us along? Oh, my God. Does he do the whole he thing? He always has to head bash. He always does it. He's just... That, that, I will admit, that movie really did that to that song for everybody. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you can't hit that instrumental part without banging that head. Or but, someone's someone is going to in right. a room. Someone will. Yeah. Did you like the sequel, Wayne's World Two? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, one of the few movies where the sequel is just as good as the original. Right. Yeah. But it was kind of funny listening to them talk about you know it being the the quote unquote first successful uh, movie based on an SNL skit. Yeah. And I'm sitting oh, there no, going, no, I'm like, no. uh, Blues Brothers. <laughs> well, there is that. Uh, did come first, and that was. I mean, technically, you could say that was based on a musical skit because they never did an actual Blues Brothers skit. Night of the Roxbury. Uh, that came well, out. Night after. of the Roxbury came after. Yeah, oh, that's true. Was yeah. that successful? Uh, was it? Yeah, they, it, was, it, it made was, money. It was mean. Wayne's World, then Coneheads, and then uh, Night at the Roxbury in in the nineties. So, hmm. but uh, but yeah, I was sitting there going, I'm like, yeah, Blues Brothers did come out of SNL, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I have to say that's a. But I, I guess you would say it's the first comedy bit that did become a 
a full-on movie and it is an, it, it is a proper movie i mean it's it's definitely scripted it's definitely structured even though it has a feel of it not necessarily being structured because you're just following these two guys as they they go through this yeah, it's more structured event. than say caddyshack right <laughs> it has like some of the first uh fourth caddyshack. ball breaking doesn't oh, it mm-hmm. talking to the people well for for a 90s film yeah there's oh, yeah. it was very rare there's a few films in the 80s that did that. I mean, the most famous of which is being uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right. But, oh, I can't uh, forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, wow. And in my geek card, here it is. But even even that wasn't the first one to do that. But no. it, it, for the 90s, it was, you know, very rare that you would have the fourth wall break. But, you know, they're very upfront about it. And they, in fact, uh, <laughs> when the Ed O'Neill character pulls the camera aside and he goes, and uh, and Wayne comes in and says, "Hey, uh, only Garth and I get to talk to the camera." And he basically drags them back onto the the my, mo- movie itself. It's it's funny. My favorite bit of that actually is when they did the product placement riff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's that so just, funny. Yep, true gold. Yeah. Opening up the Pizza Hut box right in the center and <laughs> would just never holding. bow to a sponsor. <laughs> oh my god, that was so hilarious! And those are real sponsorships too, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, didn't didn't he create that character like for something long before SNL too? Didn't um, he create Garth or, or Wayne rather before? Uh, I I honestly I don't know for sure. I think he did. I think he created for some Canadian show. I know that. He tells oh, the shut story. Up. Don't even look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think he did it for like another show. I think he did it for a stage production, say for like Second City or something like that. Okay, sure. I do know that he says uh, he's has said before that uh, um, he was sitting around uh, uh, this stage eight there in uh, New York, and he uh, g- grabbed Dana one time. He's like, "Hey." You want to be my uh, my cohort in crime here? It's like I've got this idea about a couple of guys doing a TV show out of their basement, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in." So they that's you know they co-created those characters. So I wonder if Myers written his his biography yet. I don't know. If not, it's coming. It's got to be coming. Well, he's I'd not, read it in a heartbeat. He's not busy. Love Guru kind of killed his career. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Did. Telling it like he is working it on did. the 50th. The claws are out tonight. He's working on the 57th draft of uh, Austin Powers 4. Thank you. I don't think it necessarily killed his career per se, but it definitely ended his run of, you know, being in complete control of all of his films because he had complete control over the. The three Austin Powers. But films what's he been in after uh, Love Guru? Nothing. He's, he's done like bit parts in movies and stuff. There was one where he he played some like, animation British maybe? general or something that was not. I'd, ha- I'd have to look. That oh, up that was in uh, that was in. I can't um, think of the name of the movie now. Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Oh, oh that's right. right. That's right. He was. In, wow, I gotta so, watch that again. Yeah. So I got, I got I've got one more uh, geeky sure. thing. Sure. I'll just take one quick, more. Thing. Just a quick one. I'll take a quick. One. I went to the Bad Owl. It's okay. You went to the Bad Owl. Yeah, the the Harry Potter themed coffee house. It's in the south part of town. Oh yeah, and it's just it. okay. Just okay. It's fine. Is it's it like, really, just like the movies? Is just it really okay. Harry Potter themed, <laughs> or is it just that there's stuff written on, written on the tables that are lines from? Yes, that's basically it. You could you can read it in there, half an hour. I was gonna say because yeah. I went there too, and I, it didn't strike me as no. being Harry Potter themed. That's why it was just okay. You could read it in a half an hour and just by changing the artwork, <laughs> just in case a lawsuit comes down. Right, and just do some wipe, wipe, wipe. Mm-hmm. And there you yep, go. Yep. <laughs> Uh, apparently the Shrek movies are the last ones he's of got. Oh, yeah. Shrek movies. Dirt, in dirt. here. And, and, the, and the listeners are going, we've been yelling this for 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. I was trying to remember where the Shrek came in, where Shrek came in in order of, uh, yeah, 
Well, you should have said something. Andy. I didn't. Uh, oh, it said animation. See, Love Guru was '08, Inglorious Bastards was '09, uh, Shrek Forever After was 2010. So, wow, she hasn't done anything in seven years. Wow. Uh, does he really need to? I mean, he's no, fine. Yeah. He is fine. Yeah. He's got enough money. He does his own thing. He's hanging out making albums with Rick Moranis. I tell you what, yeah, we, we've eaten up some time, so we'll do one email, then we'll get to some news. So right. it is a quick little email. Uh, guys, it's been a while. I just listened to Will Wheaton read Ready Player One. Hmm. It's awesome. 80s Jeff, this book should make your day. Have you all read this? What thoughts do you have? Peace, Magic Dude. I have I still, not. I, I still to. have not read that movie. And yeah. yes, I, have I do I plan on it. it. I just haven't. I have read uh, Ready Player One. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> I think I actually brought it to the uh, Ugly Couch show at one point. You did. Yep, you did. And I, th- of the year, that year, I think that was the favorite book of that year. Yeah. It is an incredible read. Now, uh, we just read Armada from uh, Ernest Klein, who wrote Ready Player One. And again, a cavalcade of 80s references. Uh, but... Unlike Armada, where those are just kind of shoehorned in everywhere, they don't really fit. Mm. With Ready Player One, the 80s references are a part of the story and are integral to solving the book itself. So if mm. you have any kind of 80s nostalgia for whether, what, it doesn't matter what it is, cartoons, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever it is, there's an homage in there to it. And nice. it's integral to the plot. It really, really makes that work. So much so that I'm almost scared of the movie coming up because I can't see how they get all those references. I mean, I'm sure they'll get some right. for that movie, but I'm my favorite one I'm hoping is going to be there, and I don't think it will be. <laughs> and I want to spoil it. Right. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. He's going to. He, he can't don't, help himself. Don't do it. Tomb of Horrors. Okay, that's oh. all I've got to say. That's, that's all I've got to say. <clears throat> oh, Boy, yeah, you, it, if... If they have to actually license everything, that would be. So, although the save on Spielberg movies, because apparently he said he wouldn't, he wouldn't reference. Right, and the book references quite a few Spielberg. Yeah, I things. mean, it's like how can you talk about the '80s and and leave out Spielberg? Right, and and I felt that his excuse was kind of lame because he he said that he felt it would be like self people might see it as self-aggrandizing. Right. It's just if, like, if he wrote the story, sure, but he didn't. Mm. Yeah, and it's like, dude, it's... You, you... He 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 is the 80s. Yeah, yeah it's true. You know, that fine point. Him him, and Lucas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of books, uh, we are reading 1984, George Orwell, <clears throat> for the book club. I thought we're you were reading is. fiction. How, <laughs> how <laughs> apropos. <laughs> uh, I believe we start discussing it uh, when this episode airs. We start discuss- discussing it today, so the 8th. So uh, join us if that sounds like your bag or if you just want a manual on how to get ready for the next four years. <laughs> so I just finished it yesterday. So it was the second time I read it. I enjoyed it more the second time. Well, as I said to somebody, I clearly expect to have a cage of rats on my head any day now. <laughs> I think I read that first, like most people listening, in high school. I think a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're revisiting our youths this this month, and again, if this book doesn't appeal to you, read whatever you want. Join us again next month when we decide the book for March. I read it when it was still the future. Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, 1984. We're gonna have flying cars, yeah. and well, <laughs> which is we funny. We have a moon base by now, according to is it Enterprise? No. 
Uh, We've already lost the moon, according so to Space 1999. 1999. <laughs> uh, 2016 or something was supposed yeah. to be the moon base. Although, it, I was just realizing the other day that uh, the events of Back to the Future Part 2 are now in the past. Mm-hmm. Two years in the past. Yeah. If if they if they had actually taken place. Any of it. <laughs> taking it place didn't. now. Um, oh my goddamn sports program. <laughs> <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Uh-huh. Right. What's funny is, just in our talking about what we're into, what we did this week, we're going to kind of revisit some of those in some of these stories. Oh. Mm. So, I'll, it's impressive how they kind of bounce against each other. News you don't give a shit about, animal rights organization PETA has asked Warhammer publisher Games Workshop to remove the depiction of characters wearing fur from its range of miniatures oh, and games. Sake. So, that's a whole legion of space marines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are they called? The wolf... Space wolves. Space wolves. And they're one of the most popular. Yes. Uh, PETA, which has become well-known for its anti-fur campaigns involving celebrities and its calls for humane treatment of animals, both in reality and fiction, said in a statement that it had written to Games Workshop CEO Kevin Roundtree to request a ban on the portrayal of fur clothing in the Warhammer and Warhammer 40K universes. The move is likely to rile up some fans of the series who see the the ethical treatment of animals in real life and the depiction of fur and animal suffering in fictional worlds as different, a stance that PETA acknowledges in a statement. Quote, from the mighty Lehman Russ and Horace Lupercal. Yeah, this is a PETA statement. (laughs) To chaos warriors and the sisters of silence. Warhammer's features an abundance of characters who wear what appear to be animal pelts, which just doesn't add up. Is this real? This This is real. This is not the onions. I had to double check this. Sam Heffernan first sent this to me, and I I had to check it. My God. These battle-hardened warriors are known for their martial prowess, but wearing the skins of dead animals doesn't take any skill. Draping them in what looks like it to be a replica of a dead animal sends the message that wearing fur is acceptable when in fact it has no place in 2017 than it would in the year 40,000, unquote. Bullshit. Although it's yet to make a similar move in the uh, tabletop industry, PETA has uh, become a publisher of several video games dedicated to parodying famous titles like Mario, Pokemon, and Cooking Mama and prom- promoting its pro-animal principles. So they say. Listen, take- I'm a liberal, but Pete is fucking nuts. Yeah, well, they say, yeah, and they actually take it way too far. It's like Spartan warriors. Basically, they go out before they get the gene seed and kill a huge wolves of Fenray, which are like eight foot, nine foot wolves, eight hundred pounds, nine hundred pounds. It's not a real wolf. Yes, it's a fucking <laughs> yes. There's. I, mean, I hope there's good work Pete can do. There's actual cruelty to animals happening. Go yeah. fix that. Right. Don't, don't go after the idiot fictional stuff that makes you look like a fool and undercuts what you are actually trying to do. They yeah, could start totally. with the PETA animal shelters where a lot of animals die. Please, <laughs> please, please, the Game Workshop PR, like, exterminatus. <laughs> 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 and then, like, heretics, P.S., Grey Knights. <laughs> God. Uh, news you don't give a shit about. Ben Affleck has withdrawn from directing Batman's next solo film, titled The Batman for the moment. In order to devote more energy to simply playing the role, the move comes after weeks of whispers about script trouble and persistent rumors that Affleck would drop the directing gig 
Uh, meanwhile, Affleck remains co-writer on the project alongside DC Entertainment's uh, chief creative officer, Jeff Johns. Has Affleck directed anything before? Yeah. The Town? Uh, Argo? Yeah. Argo. Oh, yeah, he's Argo. a couple Academy good Award. things, hasn't he? So I guess it wasn't a crazy idea. Now, what's he the, just, what's he, the he, one that he just directed that's up for film of the year? Or best picture? Uh, um, li- live, live... Eh. Live, 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 live now. Damn it! Yeah, live, 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 live for now. Or La La Land. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> yeah, he's done uh, a lot. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And they're all pretty, pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it would have been a, it would have been a good movie if he had done it. Yeah, he t- and he tends to do kind of, you know, I would say artsy picks, but more like serious, you know, drama. Mm. So. Yeah, I even. Uh, Kevin Smith chimed in on that. He said that, uh, you know, basically any director that's going to take on Batman or a future Batman film is going to have a hard time overcoming the reputations of both Burton and Nolan. So he said he felt like that, you know, having known him in the past, he's probably stepped away just so he could focus on the actual role and not worry about, you know, the directing and performing the role. And, the way the way uh, Kevin Smith said it, it, it made sense because it's it's true. You have the Dark Knight. I mean, it, it, he even made the point, and he's like, the Dark Knight's kind of a perfect Batman film. And then even Nolan couldn't follow that up with Dark Knight Rises. He couldn't outdo himself. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I already did the perfect Batman <laughs> film, but I'm kind of obligated to do this third one. So mm-hmm. here we go. <laughs> yeah, so, that yeah. is the best Batman movie, Dark Knight. Yeah. Well, it's just it just amazing performances from everybody in that film probably one of the best movies of that year period yeah. mm-hmm. it really was actually maybe even that decade and even dark knight rises wasn't that bad but dark knight was just it was so just good it was, it was so hard good, to follow yeah. up yeah. all right going back to something you brought up earlier news you don't give a shit about star trek deep space nine is beloved by fans what which fans me <laughs> Me. Okay. And me, even though I haven't finished it. Maybe I won't. Maybe yeah. I'll, I'll keep my lover. I, I like what I've seen of it. And although Star Trek Voyager is less beloved, it still has an ardent fan following. And these millions of fans have been waiting for a release of their Treks of choice on Blu-ray and HD. Sadly, it looks like it will never happen. What? Yep. There's an unusually complex reason. Yeah. According to Trek News, this is Robert Meyer Burnett, who wrote, directed, produced, and edited the bonus features on the Blu-ray sets of Next Generation and Enterprise Blu-rays, uh, had this to say about it. Quote, a program could be shot in 35mm film, but instead of editing on film and then cutting negative, the original 35mm material footage would instead be scanned to videotape at NTSC resolution, which is a lower resolution. And the rest of the post-production process would instead be uh, editing, mixing, etc., would then be completed on tape at a reduced cost. However, no film negative was cut, so the final product would only exist on videotape at NTSC's greatly reduced video resolution and color. Unquote. Using videotape had the benefits of making special effects more cost-effective, but it means there are no 35mm prints of Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. The treks from 1987 to 2001 are consigned to videotape-quality video. Now, as for Star Trek the original series, Star Trek the animated series, they were filmed and edited on 35mm film, 
and Star Trek Enterprise was shot on 35mm and finished in HD. So these series were easily turned to Blu-ray. So why can we buy a copy of Next Gen on Blu-ray? It's because CBS and Paramount spent $12 million restoring it. It involved finding the original negatives, rescanning them, adding new effects, and remastering the sound. It took years. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, streaming media such as Netflix and Hulu were on the rise, and the sales of physical media were on the decline. By the next time next, time next Gen's remastering project went to market, quote, sales of physical discs dropped 10% a year across the board, unquote, said Burnett. So Burnett surmises it will take about $40 million and perhaps eight years to remaster both Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and this means it'll be too expensive and time-consuming to remaster them. Yeah, I remember actually talking to the Akutas. I want to say it was back around 2008 or nine, about you know when they were just starting to do some test stuff with Next Gen because they had just finished uh, doing the original series on Blu-ray and what it would take to do Next Gen because. While every I, while Andy, while every while every element was shot on film, uh, they were composited in the computer and in, in on video at just like you said at at NTSC resolution. So, you know, a lot of the effect shots were were done you know, digitally and like really poor early digital quality. And, Sorry, uh, did you just repeat everything you said but slower? <laughs> I guess, I guess, yes. But I'm just saying, I, I talked to the Akutas about it a long time ago, and yeah, they they basically confirmed everything that he said. Um, From you, <laughs> what? <laughs> pot kettle, kettle. Yeah, pot. yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, there's still hope. But another uh, sound like another it. thing that he he doesn't mention in there, but I guess had said in the original interview is a lot of it is a misconception about um, the. Um, audience about what they're buying because they, you know, in the case of Next Gen, they're thinking, oh, it's the same thing that I already bought on DVD, just upconverted to Blu-ray, and that's not it. They literally put hundreds of thousands of hours of, you know, redoing even the Starship scenes from scratch. They had the video reference, but they still had to go dig through cans of film, scan that film, and then basically recut it from scratch it was uh, the process is amazing what they had to do if you ever buy or have somebody that'll loan you the next gen blu-ray set watch the extra features because the amount of work that went into recreating next generation for blu-ray and upscanning the the 35 millimeter original prints and then recutting each episode from scratch is unbelievable and so if people knew how much work went into doing that and would buy the sets, that would tell Paramount and CBS, yes, they should do DS9 and Voyager. But Now, they have you can watch the original effects, too, on that set, right? On the original series, yes. Oh, not the next gen. Not the next gen, because okay. the next gen, they had to literally do it from scratch. Okay. Because I know they did those redo effects on the original series, and you could like press the button to switch between yes. the original effect and the well, that new was enhanced effect. That's, well, that that's was because, fun. That was because for the original series box sets, they actually had a CG Enterprise that they developed. So because the problems with optical printing in the 60s, where you lose a lot of resolution because you're, you're taking a single film element, projecting it onto another, projecting it onto another, and projecting it onto another... 
you get this really poor quality image that while it doesn't look so terrible on an old school television, when you try to upconvert that to HD, you can really oh, see yeah. how bad um, that was. I mean, it was it you was see like the lunch stains on. Oh boy, well, it was <laughs> top quality and shit. Now don't get me wrong; it was top quality you for can. the '60s. There was there was not a better job they could have done in the '60s. Yeah. No, no. So no. for '66 to '69, it was unbelievably. Uh, good product. Mm -hmm. The effects look fine on my 12 inch black and white. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, but it was, yeah. It, it's a, Vernon and I will watch the original it? series yeah. and we'll sit there and chuckle because there's there's like a rash of episodes where Leonard Nimoy, who was famous for coffee spills, yes. he actually has a stain that, that just this light little brown stain on the bottom <laughs> quarter of his shirt that he, just shows up. He, he was and, the Andy of the Oh, my God. It was series. so funny. It was, it's I don't just spell it myself. <laughs> Everybody else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt knows about You're that. You're equal opportunity, yeah. <laughs> I wish we could have recorded that, uh, <laughs> that, that theater, oh God, that that was that so theater scene. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what? What would I do? <laughs> And just and Paulette, that was that's just you have to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Paulette saying it. Wow, <laughs> you know when Paulette's saying it. Ooh, weekend geek. Yay! The big screen reboot of the sci-fi classic Dune has been kicking around development for a while. Now the project has locked in a director. That is Denis Villeneuve, I believe his name is. Villeneuve. I think Villeneuve. The, this is the guy who directed Arrival. Yep. Sci-fi film Arrival. He signed on to Dune. Dune author Frank Herbert's son, Brian, confirmed the deal. Details are scarce. But uh, Villeneuve at uh, the helm seems like we'll be trading some of the camp in for a more serious adaptation of Herbert's cult hit. Uh, in a world where civilizations rise and fall in a quest to control a mythical spice uh, David Lynch's Dune, of course, uh, hit the big screen in 84, styled Kyle McLaughlin's Paul Atreides. Critics hated it at the time, but still something of a cult hit. Sci-Fi also adapted the story into a miniseries, 2000, followed by Children of Dune miniseries in 2003, both of which had really good ratings. Studio hasn't announced a timeline, but Villanueva could uh, tackle this project once he wraps up work on Blade Runner 2049, which opens in October. Wow. At I'm some point, I would love to go back and revisit the the sci-fi miniseries because it was supposed to be more true to the the source material. Yeah, can that book be done in one movie? Well, that's why they did it as a miniseries yeah. on sci-fi. Right, but this is a movie now. Yeah, they cut a large swath of it out. It's not for a the huge book. It is movie. not a. It's not a bullet stopper. Really? Yeah. No. It's yeah. It's not a big book, and a lot of that book is thought process. That's why yeah. the uh, the eighty four Dune is so is so odd because it really captures the feel of the book because there's a lot of character introspection going on from everyone even mm. though it's the story's about paul you get into everybody's head well yeah like book. almost every character has a ton of inner monologue on that and yeah they cut out some arena fights and and so on and stuff that happens in the uh in giddy prime and but and the minecraft like armor <laughs> right that's there's that uh, but I, I I love Dune. I love the original Dune. I I enjoy the uh, sci-fi miniseries, but uh, I'm I'm always willing for a new take on Dune. Yeah, it it it's it's <clears throat> it's interesting because I 
I'm one of those who came to Dune very late. I read it as an adult, and so I suffer from retro, been there, done that, because it really established a lot of stuff. It really laid a groundwork for a lot of modern space opera stuff. It even had like its influence on Star Wars, on Lucas and Star Wars. But but for me, reading it, you know, I, after so many other series and things like that, it was just like seen all this <laughs> yeah yeah been there you had that uh the, the the short film that jared the we used to work with at trek oh, God, did yeah. about uh david lynch's david, lynch. david, david lynch's, lynch's revenge of the jedi yeah. yeah which he says i'm not talking about star wars i'm talking about dune jared worshiped at the foot of lynch oh yeah he really did <laughs> that was that was a and on an another side movie. note uh dr vlarg Actually has a stilt suit. Yes, he does. He has a full on costume. Really? Yeah. And wow. I and I painted him a uh, a prop of the worm tooth dagger, so he has that to go with it. So and yeah, I've, I've seen thing. him. He he busted it out one time, and he goes, he goes, you want to see something cool? I'm like, all right. So he drags me over, shows me this full on suit, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he goes, you know what? I haven't worn this years. So I'm gonna go put it on. So he like, <laughs> runs into his bedroom. <laughs> comes back out and he's like it still fits and i'm like that's pretty impressive yeah, i mean it was a nice look it, it is nice and, and it's it's, and it's, it's fully functional he yeah. pees into it and then he can drink it it's great <laughs> i wouldn't go that far it doesn't process anything <laughs> right but he, right. <laughs> but he still pees into it <laughs> well that's how tough the fremen are a straight tube <laughs> and a hand pump a real fremen does not process <laughs> The urine must flow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yikes. Talk about water life. (laughs) (laughs) You really are the quitsat, Haderach. (laughs) How can this be? Two years ago, MGM secured the rights to develop a new theatrical take on the author Robert C. O'Brien's children's classic, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Variety reports that the film, which is being developed as a CGI and live-action hybrid, has brought aboard first-time director James Madigan. Madigan recently completed work as a second-unit director in the upcoming prehistoric shark thriller Meg. It also looks like the new film version with uh, will drop the Mrs. Frisbee for the title and simply be called The Rats of Nim. Published which- in 1971 with accompanying illustrations by Zena Bernstein, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim follows the titular Ms. Frisbee and a recently widowed field mouse who faces impossible odds in the quest to move her family before a farmer's plow comes through. Uh, the text was famously adapted into an animated film, The Secret of Nim, by Don Bluth in 1982. MGM has set Ice Age 5 scribe Michael Berg to script the new film. O'Brien authored a sequel to his original book, uh, Rasco and the Rats of Nim, which was published in 1986, and R.T. Margaret and the Rats of Nim, a third book, was written in 1990 by O'Brien's daughter, Jane Leslie Conley. Uh, the animated film version, meanwhile, received its own direct-to-video sequel in 98, uh, with The Secret of Nim 2, Timmy to the Rescue. Uh, have, have you all seen, uh, read The Secret of Nim? I've read The Secret of Nim, and I'm I was not. kind of annoyed at the changes they made. I've only seen the film. The mean the change they made to the cartoon. Yeah, uh, what what annoyed you? They added all the magic. Everything was done with the smarts of the rat in the book. Ah, see, I've never read the book. Yeah. I love the cartoon though. Yeah, uh, it was 
that was a very formative cartoon for me because it was one of the first cartoons I saw that involved one death and right. two blood. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it it showed me that cartoons could be more than it's all happy friendly singing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't get by today as a kids cartoon. Uh, that but. and the last unicorn. Those two were Oh, that's were, a heartbreaker, were man. changed changed my view of animation forever as a, as a youngster. That's another book I read and then saw the movie. That was uh yeah, the last unicorn is is a crippling book and it's a crippling movie. It's just brutal. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. And good music by America. Yep. Yeah. But uh never turn your back on anything immortal. So true. <laughs> so true. That's why I never turn my back on Jeff. Mm-hmm. Ever. Immortal or immoral? <laughs> what? I was, I was in a... Matt, what? Matt had no doubt in his mind until he said Jeff, and then he's like, wait, what? Yeah. Well, when you're immortal, your morals are a little bit skewed. Okay. No. Skew moral. Because there can be only one. So I'm assuming with the live-action CGI combination, it's going to be kind of like a Jungle Book in its depiction mm-hmm. of the rats, so I'm very excited by this idea. Yeah. So, But maybe they'll... Uh, be closer to the book. Take yeah. out the uh, the magic amulets. And, oh, you yeah. mean the the modern Jungle Book, the one that was just yes, out a couple years ago? Oh, okay, last yeah, year. Okay, because I, I didn't see that one. I was sitting there going like Jungle Book. Like what? Oh yeah, forgot there was another one that came out. Mm-hmm. So did so, anybody see that? I did. Uh, it yeah. made a bunch that, of money at the box office. The Ben Kingsley one, Id- Idris Elbis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was pretty good. Cool. Okay. Pretty good. I, I hear great things. Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix. Go get get yep. crazy. Oh, is it on Netflix now? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, for, I, I, I forgot about uh, I forgot about um fuck no carry on. <laughs> no, okay. All right. I forgot, about, right. I I forgot about it too. What's a yeah. fuck carry on? Yes. <laughs> that's that's what they're doing in America Airlines now. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Gaiman and the late Terry Pratchett's 1990 novel Good Omens, mm-hmm. The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, is headed to screens for a six-part series in 2018 on Amazon. Gaiman will be showrunner in addition to writing the whole series, which will be a co-production between Amazon Studios and BBC Studios. It will debut first on Prime before airing on the BBC. Good Omen centers on a Aziraphale. Is that what you pronounce? Xenophile? As Aziraphale? Aziraphale? Oh, the the car- yeah, yeah. As a character, Aziraphale and Crowley, an angel and a demon who's been living on Earth since the Garden of Eden and have grown rather fond of the place. As such, the two pals decide to keep a close eye on the Antichrist in order to try to slow down the coming of the end times. Or at least the kid they thought was the Antichrist. As they begin to frantically searching for the real thing, the four horsemen gather, Atlantis rises from the ocean, nuclear war seems imminent, and everything goes hilariously wrong. I have still not read Good Omens. Oh, really? Ed, right? It put seems like your, right up my alley. Put that on your list, man. It's great. I, 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 I think I have it. So. Yeah. In the backlog of 400 other books? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. That's just in digital. No. Jesus. <laughs> hey, have you read it, Kirsten? No. Okay. No, I have not. That was the first Terry Pratchett I read. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, I've, I've read a few Discworlds and not this one. That's Gaiman, for God's sake. Yeah. Paramount Pictures announced that the upcoming reboot of Friday the 13th which was set for release on October 13th, and the sequel to World War Z, most recently set to hit theaters on June 9th, were both pulled from the release schedule altogether. 
World War Z went through a famously tough final leg of production, including rewrites and reshoots, but Pitt's producing power helped push that film through. Uh, publicly, Paramount has simply removed Friday the 13th's release date, but behind the scenes, the situation is apparently more dire. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Paramount has flat-out shut down production on the film just weeks before principal photography was set to begin. film didn't have a cast yet, but pre-production was already underway, and the flick was headed toward a shoot next month. Some sources blame the poor box office performance of Paramount's Rings, another relatively inexpensive horror flick that was supposed to give new life to an old franchise. Another source, though, says the film was simply, quote, not ready to go at this date. I'm more than happy for that film not to be going. So right. that means there's a set somewhere they've already got pretty much mostly built. They're going to have filmed some movie on. Probably yeah. not, but I bet all the designs for that set are ready. Mm. I think they used a lot of pictures for uh, Camp Grizzly. Oh, there <laughs> we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all that, I mean, we talked about them rebooting this a few times and the decisions they were making on doing it a prequel and t- taking the story about how Jason's father was involved in his upbringing. And I'm like, I don't want that. All right, Rob Zombie already told me that, showed me that's not the story I want. Don't fill in the backstory of the boogeyman. The boogeyman is a force of nature, let him be. Yeah, Yeah, that last one was just not. You don't want to identify with the boogeyman. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's exactly, you don't, you take away his power as a force of nature once you humanize him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and, Yeah. Friday the 13th, if you're going to add a new one, I'm fine with them doing like, here's another Friday the 13th, he's back, they've reopened the camp, Let, he's on the rampage again. I'm fine with that. Remake that movie over and over again. That's what they did in the first place. Uh, here's how it would go. Oh, yeah, look, we're all on Twitter. Oh, look, Jamie died. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me tag that in my post. Oh, shit, he got me. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, there's Jason. Selfie. <laughs> And what Friday the 13th did in its original series that I really, really like compared to the reality is that it, it always kept its tongue in cheek. It was never too real. All right. They never tr- made it all that real when it comes down to it. Uh, my prime example of this is the reboot that they did a few years back where they Friday the 13th done by, I think it's Legendary Pictures, which is under the uh, uh, Michael Bay's production company, something like that. Mm-hmm. He's the, the same one that redid Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right. which they oh. just said, we're going to redo these movies, but make them realistic, super gritty, and make it seem like it's happening real. And that, in the, all my time and watching the Friday 13th movies, it wasn't until that reboot that I'm like, oh, Jason couldn't sneak up on anybody because he's a stinky backwoods hillbilly. You'd smell him before you saw him. Mm-hmm. You, you'd, you'd know to run the moment you, you smelled that I've never washed my body smell. Like there's one scene where he's hiding in behind the door in a bathroom. She's the girl looking in the mirror. The door slowly closes. He's behind there. It's like no way in that enclosed room could you not smell him. Right. Right. So once you make it too real, then you're setting a whole set of rules. But the original Friday the 13th, that would have never occurred to me because they never took it that seriously. So keep that level. Don't necessarily go meta. Don't go scream. Uh, but, you know, keep it fun. Keep it a cartoon. Keep it a cartoon. There it is. Yeah. Wow. wow. Nailed deep, that one. Deep shit there. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of deep shit, uh, we lost some people in the last couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Yep. Of course, uh, John Hurt. Uh, died at the age of 77 yeah. for uh, sci-fi fans. Uh, recently starred as the War Doctor on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Memorable old roles in Alien, Snowpiercer, Merlin, V for Vendetta, Harry Potter, uh, Hellboy, and of course 1984. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, outside the genre, Oscar nominated uh, with uh, David Lynch's Elephant Man, The Wild and the Willing, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Uh, we also lost, uh, also, also lost uh, Masaya Nakamura the father of Pac-Man, who founded the Japanese video game company Namco behind the, the hit creature goblin game. He died. He was 91. Uh, he founded Namco, part of Bandai Namco, in 1955. Started out as just two mechanical horse rides on a department store rooftop, and he went on to pioneer game arcades and amusement parks. And, of course, just today, yep, Richard Hatch. Yep. Golden Globe yeah. nominee starred in the original Battlestar Galactica TV series as well as the mid-2000 reboot. Uh, he died today uh, with a, after a battle with cancer. And a very yep. good Survivor competitor. Oh, wait. Different Richard Hatch. Wow. Oh, Jesus. Wow. wow. Uh, yeah. Well, it, I went there, but I just didn't say it. But you did. It's my job. You went full retard. You can count on it. full retard. Yeah, Hatch... Uh, it's funny. I just saw him in August um, at the uh, Super Toy Con. Oh wow! In fact, he was I there, have huh? a picture. Yeah, I I posted the picture today. I saw that. I and a cool pic. Yeah, you had all of them, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I had him, uh, uh, Boomer, Boomer, and Starbuck. Starbuck. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, he didn't. He didn't seem sick. I mean, he might have been, but you know, even if he was sick with late stage cancer, like they said he had, you know, that's pretty bold of him to make that appearance you yeah. know i think that that, that ill because i remember when my grandmother was in stage four and yeah. she couldn't even get out of bed so that's but yeah um yeah that was just back in august i think him showing up in the uh the uh, new version of galactica really made that much more enjoyable for me too i thought that was a really strong and he, role and he had mixed feelings about that character it, he's he he's out a, there publicly he, he talking a, he about a terrorist it. in that one, right? And the president. He's, well, yeah, it's it's he's a morally. Uh, he's not a morally corrupt pr- individual, but his morality is based on a lot of strange. He's got a very different viewpoint yeah. from, the, from the from the military. He's not a full on. He's like, against the, the yeah. against the military running the country, basically, which is now the country is a mobile set of spaceships. Right. He's very. I got to go yeah, back and watch Very that different series. point of view of, of things than the rest of the characters. So it's 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 hard to to pin down his exact uh, motivations early on in the series. You see it more as he goes on, mm-hmm. but. He's not completely selfish, selfishly motivated, but it's his motivations definitely skew away from the rest of the military in mm-hmm. that. So, hmm. but yeah, he, it's a very he, nuanced uh, character for yeah. Richard Hatch a himself. Lot of nuanced character yeah. in that had show. Uh, mm-hmm. had mixed feelings about it. He did not like the reboot after overall, even though he played a character in it. But. Um, Still, I guess, according to Ron Moore, was super professional and, you know, didn't bring that onto the set with him. Well, I could I could see, because the original was just goofy. There wasn't yeah, any serious at fluff. all. Yeah. Well, it, 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 
Yeah, it's it's a product of its time, but also mm. Hatch was behind a reboot that did not get picked up that was supposed to be a much more serious but not as dark as mm. the the mid 2000 reboot that uh, Ron Moore and I think David Icke was the other producer. Well, the, the 2000 reboot made. had something to say. Yeah. A lot of somethings to say. That was um, 2000? Mm-hmm. I was 17 years ago. Yeah. Man. Yep. Feel old now? I feel old. The, the, you were the, old then when it first came out. Now you're 17. No, no I was in high school when it came the, out. Uh, oh. the, the Pac-Man creator, mm-hmm. um, Bill Maher, had a hysterical bit on uh, his show when he was just, he was talking about the guy passing away, and he said, and, you know, but don't don't mourn his passing, you know, take great heart and joy in his last words. And then they cue the 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 Pac-Man death. <laughs> just fucking hysterical. It was just great. The terms and conditions document that you have to agree to before using iTunes is a dense, endlessly dull piece of work to the extent that only a small percentage of the millions of people who have agreed to it have probably actually read it, which it's worth pointing out is probably somewhat on purpose. To make the thing a little more digestible, a cartoonist named R. Sikoriak illustrated 96 pages of unreadable legal nonsense in the style of different comic artists and cartoonists. The result is easily the most entertaining terms and conditions document ever. You can see the full collection at Sikariak's Tumblr, but if you prefer physical copies of your terms and condition documents as a cartoon, you can actually, the graphic novel collection will be available on March 7th. Yeah, that's great. And, that's uh, and he covers all different styles, Simpsons, yeah. uh, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, yeah. Transformers. And it's just the terms and conditions, but he has them split up in cartoon bubbles. That actually makes it a little more readable. Yeah. And yeah. A little more fun. I've seen a bunch of it, and it's really well done. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying it's done well? It's done well. It's done well. Okay. Clive Barker, a man close to my heart, yes. the legendary horror writer who's ventured into film with projects like Hellraiser, Lord of Illusions, and Nightbreed, just announced that he's partnering with Project Greenlight Digital Studios and the horror network Shudder for a horror filmmaking competition that will grant the winner a $300,000 budget and his personal mentorship. Hmm. Wow. Beginning February 13th, aspiring filmmakers will be invited to submit a pitch one to three minutes long to the Project Greenlight website. Ten semifinalists will be selected from those pitches, and from there, five finalists will be chosen. Four by a panel of judges and one by fan vote. Each of the five finalists will get funding to shoot a scene from their pitch, We'll, we'll take uh, and we'll then take a trip to Shutter uh, Shutter Labs retreat to develop scenes even more. There, a winner will be rewarded the 300k and Barker's guidance as executive producer of their film. Quote: When I was looking for financing while making Hellraiser, I wish there was a studio like Project Greenlight Digital Studios behind me. Barker said, "This is a wonderful opportunity to support emerging filmmakers in finding the new horror icon." This is also a great chance to scare and entertain audiences at the same time. So if you have that horror idea you've been kicking around, uh, go on to Project Greenlight's website. Have you submitted your pitch yet? I don't have a horror story, <laughs> man. I really oh, don't. What? You've had horror huh. stories in the past, Yeah, there, there, was a, there was a script I was working on years ago about uh, 
two wannabe vampires. Ah, vampires are so overplayed. Yep, really. Yeah, I'm not interested. That one died. Although I did adapt uh, Robert McCammon's Blue World into oh, yeah. a, a fun screenplay. And uh, that one was actually pretty good. But someone else owns that option, so that's even out of mine. Wow. Yeah. Can't even. Hard times. Hard times, man, for a writer. You know it. You writers out there, you know. J.J. Abrams came up with the story arc for an upcoming project called Overlord with Billy Ray. That's a writer behind The Hunger Games and Captain Phillip, uh, who is writing the script. Screenwriter Mark L. Smith, The Revenant, has done a slight polish on the draft. Abrams will produce with A24's Son of a Gun director, Julius Avery, directing the Paramount and Bad Roadbot project. Paramount apparently got their hands on Overlord back in 2017, but with Avery currently attached to direct, the project is quickly gaining steam, so much that execs are already meeting with actors to play the two lead characters. Here's the synopsis. The story follows two paratroopers who are caught behind enemy lines after their plane crashes on a mission to destroy a German radio tower in a small town outside of Normandy during the D-Day invasion. After reaching their target... The two paratroopers come to realize that besides fighting off Nazi soldiers, they must also combat against supernatural forces that are a result of a secret Nazi experiment. So, Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay. Not the original Castle Wolfenstein. What was the 8-bit one? Is that Was that just called Castle Wolfenstein? Uh, I think you're like Wolfenstein th- uh, 3D. There we go. That was what that it was one. called. Was yeah. the uh... because Escape from Castle Wolfenstein was the first computer game I ever owned on a Commodore 64 yeah, really. way back in the day. Frustrating because it would end if you touched a wall. But well, I mean, there's there's several stories <laughs> based out of the the uh, the Nazis experimentation with the supernatural. I mean, hell, Hellboy came right out of that. So and, uh, Indiana Jones. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a. What is this uh, titled again? Overlord. Overlord, because uh, it, it also made me think of. I, I think I got this right. Bitter seeds, which uh, I forget the the author's name, but it's a trilogy of books where. I got to remember this right. Witches and warlocks in England are being used to combat. The supermen the Nazis have developed Fun. in Europe. Yeah, what's it called? Bitter Seeds, I believe. Yep, you have the name right, and the author is Ian Tregillis. Yeah, Ian Tregillis. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's funny. Um, I've never, I've never read it, but the the concept actually sounds pretty cool because it's it's and it's it, it's very what they call diesel punk when they they talk about the. The super science of the 40s era and everything, you know? Sure. Super-powered dudes running around with vacuum tubes sticking mm. out of their right, skull right, and right. shit. And <laughs> very Iron Giant looking. Yeah, and it's, and, but it was also an interesting take because he also threw in the magic by you know, basically just grabbing a hold of England's tradition of you know, the occult. And so that was being used to counter the science of the Nazis and the Ubermensch and so on. I like it. Boy, does that sound like a role-playing game. Yeah, really? Wow. Really. And, I mean, we've, we've had a share of, you know, supernatural Nazi stories. Uh, F. Paul Wilson's The Keep. Was yeah, a, they, The Keep's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. I think I own that somewhere. Huh. Hell, Puppet Master, if you want to go there. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. 
Especially that third one. The third one yeah. was great. <laughs> and the one with the Nazis on the moon. Oh, yeah. Um, God, what is the name of that one? Nazis on the moon? Yeah, something like that. Dark Side of the Moon or something. I don't uh, know this. Oh, you don't know? It oh, was it's, on Netflix. It's very kitschy. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's total kitsch. Mm-hmm. It's not... I like it already. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's yeah, fun. It Gentlemen, we are getting another Chucky movie. Why? Because the world because needs another one. we deserve it. Listen, if you have not watched Curse of Chucky... It's not the film we want, but it's apparently the film we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Curse of Chucky came out, what, uh, two years ago? The, if you're a fan of the Child's Play franchise, don't miss that movie. As it is settled so down and has a house in the suburbs with his <laughs> puppet banging, wife and bang, his puppet kids. No. Listen, I'll, I'll no. say this for the Chucky movies. I mean, we've had our share of horror franchises that lasted a long time. And let's face it, Chucky's lasted a long time. But if you watch that series as it goes on, it is following the trends of horror of its time. True. The original ones, the first three, are basically slasher films. Uh, the ones that came out in the '90s during the screen era—that's when they brought in Bride of Chucky. That's when it gets tongue in cheek, very meta, joking about its own self. And then Curse of Chucky, which uh, came out two years ago, goes right back to true horror. It's really a good, good movie. Hmm. So it's this. this if you want to know what horror was like in, during any given time, watch the Chucky movie from that era. That's what horror was like during that time. So now we got a new one, Cult of Chucky, which will be written and directed by Don Mancini, who wrote the original in 1988. Uh, Brad Dorif and Jennifer Tilly, who have long voiced the villainous Chucky and Tiffany, are also on board to return, as well as Fiona Dorif, who will be reprising her role... F- as uh, Nika Pierce from Curse of Chucky. Here's how Entertainment Weekly describes the film, uh, which Ari has begun shooting. Cult of Chucky will catch up with the younger Dorif character in an asylum for the criminally insane where she has been confined for the past four years and is erroneously convicted, convinced that she, not Chucky, murdered her entire family. But when Nika's psychiatrist introduced a new therapeutic tool... To facilitate his patient's group sessions, a all-too-familiar good guy doll with an innocently smiling face. A string of grisly deaths begin to plague the asylum, and Nika starts to wonder if maybe she isn't crazy after all. Andy Barkley, Chucky's now grown-up nemesis from the original Child's Play, races to Nika's aid. But to save her, he'll have to get past Tiffany, Chucky's long-ago bride, who will do anything, no matter how deadly or depraved, to help her beloved. I am on board. I am so on board. (laughs) I the listen the child's play movies three is terrible two is not great uh the Ch- spawn of chucky is terrible but the other ones are great mm. first one bride but curse might be my favorite even over the first one hmm. nice warner brothers is going to make a live action attack on titan movie no what what Wait, Warner is? Yes. Didn't they already do one in Japan? They did. Okay. They did. It was a two-parter. The first one did gangbusters. The second part didn't do as well. Really? Is what I understand. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, They're also looking to bring on Harry Potter franchise producer David Heyman to develop the film. The film will be a U.S. remake of the two-part live-action Japanese film made in 2015. All right. Um, Part one became the seventh highest-grossing locally produced film in Japan. Attack on Titan place, uh, takes place in a future where humankind has retreated behind walls upon the arrival of Titans, a race of giant, naked, man-eating humanoids 
After a hundred years of relative peace, a group of young heroes decide to see what's on the other side of the walls, but soon find themselves having to fight for humanity's survival when a titan larger than all the others breaches the walls, allowing a swarm of titans to flood the city and start chomping down on people. Warner Brothers already has a couple of live-action adaptations of Japanese manga and anime in the works, including Death Note, which is set to premiere on Netflix sometime this year, and of course the long-in-the-works Akira, which has been plagued with ugh. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah. I don't know. Um, never saw the Japanese version, but Oof. I will say Attack on Titan is still my favorite anime that I've anime ever is, seen. That anime is mind-blowing, and it's just like, it's savage. Yes, it is scary to watch. It it, is, they're, yeah. they're, they're eating. They're eating. I remember the live action, the the uh, car commercial they did. Oh, that's right. And I forgot the, they did I that. I remember watching that car commercial, being like, "Holy crap! This would be this would be kind of terrifying live action if they do it right." So, but I've never seen the Japanese ones, so I don't know. Yeah, hmm. I haven't either. But you, what's what's interesting? I played the Attack on Titan video game for a little bit. Not great. It's made by the same people that do uh, the Dynasty Warriors series. Okay. Um, yeah. And oh, yeah. if you think Dynasty Warriors controls funky, you should try it where you're flying around the air. Yeah. Um, but they did a good job with that game in how you take down a Titan as far as like removing limbs and having to get the back of the neck mm-hmm. and so on. Once you watch that cartoon or play that game, you when you step outside, it's kind of like that uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto effect. Mm-hmm. Where when you step outside, you're like, okay, I got to step away from the fact that I'm driving a vehicle in real life. Yeah, I've been it for a long, long time. When you've done Attack on Titan for a while, mm-hmm. you start comparing buildings to Titans and starting to see what they would look like in your mind's eye, and it's <laughs> really off-putting. Yeah. Have you mentioned on the show? Remember you told me a story about playing some game and then stepping outside and calculating the. Uh, Grenade throws. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I forget the I forget the <laughs> the game. It was a popular first person shooter decades ago. But when you threw your grenades, you got a little trajectory uh, marker. It was just a series of lines that would arc and then show you where it was going to land. And Chad Randall and I played that game. So we actually played it through the night. So I was leaving the next morning. And so it's daytime when I'm stepping out of Chad's apartment and there was a group of kids just standing on the grass talking. And I, my mind instantly visualized a boop, 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 right in the middle of that bunch of kids. It was just there. Now you're on a list. Oh, my God. It was just like, wow. That was weird. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. What did I, you throw I, a grenade into? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. Yeah. Wow. That was uh, same quick again. Um, Night Vale is Sunday and it's touring. This Sunday. Yes, this in Sunday Vegas. in Vegas, but it's also touring across the country. So everybody listening is hop on, welcome to Night Vale and find out where they're playing in your town and when. Wow. Damn it, I'm working Sunday. Yeah. They're playing in, uh, are, you, are you off Monday? No. Sunday? Tuesday? I work Sunday and Monday. You're, you work on Sunday and Monday? Yes. You off Tuesday? Yes, that's well, when we do the show. Let's go off. Oh, yeah, we can't do that then. <laughs> All right, show I'm at trying, 1230. They're playing in California next week. So there's a lot of places you can catch it if you ran off to California. There you go. Go. There you go. All those in California, go see it. Yeah. Until Take next a... week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Fact check Dandy. Maple Leaf Matt. We'll talk to you next week in Geek. We uh, we checked out Level Up at MGM. It was really funny. It's like a just a Dave and Buster's for the Hakkasan set. 
Oh, okay. And uh, it's really small. Okay. And it's got like a virtual golf. And it's got um, a football throw and a basketball throw. Oh, well, sign me up. A couple of uh, the, the most interesting thing that I actually, one thing that was funny, just funny for me, they actually had beer pong table setups. Okay. So you could actually set yourself up and play beer pong. But the weirdest thing was the four person air hockey. Oh, that, Ooh, that sound sounds great. Yeah, it's 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 a square air hockey table and you play and I didn't get a long time to watch these guys playing it, but one of the interesting things I saw on each person's score area on their, their panel was lives left. So it's apparently some kind of player elimination. All wow. four of you are against that each other. That sounds great. So that alone was just like, huh. That's where the old Rainforest was, right? It was where yeah. Rainforest Cafe okay. is no longer. Okay. Do we have yeah. any kind of a virtual video game world anywhere in Vegas? Yeah, there's a virtual world, uh, in, um, virtual reality game place uh, in the link. Okay. Yeah. Good, because I, I want to experience virtual reality, but I ain't got the money to lay down for an Oculus. <laughs> so. Well, you got a PS4? And Caesar's Palace has a, a, a VR set up at one of its bars. Um, okay. I'll have to see if I can find out on that one again, because I just I Is just that the read shadow it. bar where the lady shadows dance? No, no, no. Is that what you're talking That's, about? That one's long gone. <laughs> okay. That one's long gone. No, but no, this one actually, uh, I think they, they are featuring the Oculus. Okay. In this in this setup, because I remember seeing a, a short article about it. So yes, we do have but a it's PS4. Answering your question, but it seems like it would be better suited to the upgraded PS4. Yeah, the PS4 Pro supposedly has a better experience with their their VR. Yeah, but headset. that is the cheap the cheapest version of the uh, VR headsets right now. So I can't wait to not no, be able the, to buy uh, that. All right. The Gear VR for the Samsung phones is actually cheaper than everybody else's. You know, I did play with that a little bit and. Well, there's there's an upgraded version that just came out last year that's supposed to be better, and now they have the controllers for it. That was the problem that they had when they first released that. But to me, to me, my experience know. on the Samsung VR was I can watch this movie in any direction I I look at. Mm. Which you know, I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the Shark Tank. Yeah. Look, yeah. Mm. One of the things the Samsung Gear VR had was. Uh, it's a, it was a storyline. It was an interactive storyline where you. Uh, it was a an ongoing, um, I guess, drama series. Like there was a missing girl that you're trying to find, and there's story oh. points that you can look around as the actors are performing, and you can look around while they're having they're exchanging their dialogue and and you know find out information on this. It's actually really neat. I, I played around with like the first couple episodes, but then I uh, I just haven't been back to it. You know, there was one thing I did on it. There was, uh, uh, oh, what's the name? Uh, Suicide Squad had a yeah a thing on there that it puts you in the middle of a the Suicide Squad scene where they're in an office building and the, the superheroes, quote unquote, are coming on from one side and the monsters on the other side. You're kind of in the middle of it. So you can look all around in any direction and see something different than the second time you watched it. So yeah, they did that with the cool. uh, the scene from Avengers: Age of Ultron, where the the Ultron robots bust into the uh, Avenger Tower, and it is interesting. It, it, I, there's one meme. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen. That's hilarious. It's like 30 years ago, and it's a little kid sitting in front of a TV, and the caption reads. Get away from the TV, you'll ruin your eyes. And then it goes, today, and it's somebody in a VR goggles. <laughs> like, ah. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's actually not true. 
That's perfect. Yeah, I, I wonder about that, especially the ones that uh, says that it mimics the movie theater experience, where it shows like the huge screen, but it's off in the farther direction than right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I wonder about that with. Uh, the coolest thing about VR that I've yet heard about is actually really old because they were talking about uh, in filming the the Rings trilogy because like like the Moria scene with the cave troll they built that in CG okay. and they animated the troll and they created a virtual camera and it, it so actually. They could go into the scene and decide where they're shooting from and what oh, angles right. they're choosing right. from. And like uh, uh, Peter Jackson, they show him in a room and he's wearing the goggles and he's like walking around with this this device that mimics the camera. Oh, that's cool. And he's making the choice. And it was that was to me the most interesting thing about VR yet hmm. is the whole idea of, of of just create a scene and then you decide how you want it shot. With holding a virtual camera and being in that scene. That's really cool. Yeah, that does sound like you behind that. Well, and VR is probably going to give way to augmented reality here, too, because uh, there's so much more you can do with that. You can, like, look at a painting and then, you know, look a little icon to the right and get information about it. That or you can play a video game where you can have a heads-up display drop over the Being the, the techie guy you are, I'm kind of surprised you haven't gotten Google Glass. Uh, that hasn't been. They didn't do a, a follow-up version. They were going to do a version 2.0, but that last I heard, it hasn't done anything. Yeah, yeah this I I heard the the social reaction to Google Glass did a lot to temper the the ardor for cr- pushing the technology through because. Um, people were just talking, like designing new etiquette. Don't be a glass hole, and yeah. these are all the social things you should do if you're wearing your glass. You know, because I'm you, filming. Yeah, hey, exactly. I'm filming right now. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. it's, it's just like well, the new wow. thing is the Snapchat glasses, which you, they, they look like sunglasses, and they have two little cameras, one on either side, that have a little spinning light when they're live streaming, and it's bizarre. I've seen a couple of those that in person I now. I've even heard of that. Yeah. Mm. It's a thing. Look it up. Wow. I'll do that when I'm playing Warhammer. What's your virtual reality? <laughs> We're watching you. Porn. Hollow sweep. Yeah, there you uh, go. Hollow deck Warhammer program. You forget it's on and you're just taking a pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, a, new, well. a new version of Frank Drebin <laughs> and the, uh, the hot mic. <laughs> <laughs>